me a while. <laughs> Which being interpreted as God with us. As to my qualifications as a grammarian, I'll make no comment. But upon Mr. Tubby's qualifications as a student of Irish history, I'll say this. He's so far off, <laughs> it isn't even funny. He thinks St. Patrick is Romish because Rome claims him. If that were so, then lots of good people would be Roman indeed, including Joseph and Mary, <laughs> whom Rome not only claims but have beatified. Now, St. Patrick, let me tell Mr. Tabbitt, was not a Roman Catholic. And the church which he founded in Ireland was independent of the See of Rome and was the ancient Celtic church. Now, whether it's a matter of snakes or saints, if it has to do with Ireland, Toby doesn't know what he's talking about. Amen. Of course I say all this in love. Love to say it. <laughs> Mr. Tabby talks about the rules of honorable debate, which my opponent refused to abide by. That's me. The rules of honorable debate, which my opponent refused to abide by. Now, let me tell you something about these rules of honorable debate. I didn't think that it was necessary for me as a gentleman to obligate myself in advance to act honorably. I always do. But let me tell you the difference between Mr. Toddy and me with regards to these rules of honorable debate. I didn't agree to keep them, but kept them. He agreed, I suppose, to keep them, but broke them. You've had a sad display on how to drive a horse and cart through debating ethics. And that sad display has not come from me, but from my dear opponent. Now, <laughs> he went back again, if you please, to John 14 and 28. I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. 
he said, yes, yes, all right. Or words to that effect. I'm not quoting him verbatim. Jesus, or the Son, was less great than the Father for a while. Just for a while. Just for a while. So he has admitted that the Son is less great than the Father for a while. And so doing, he conflicts with what he declared he would defend. This is what he was to defend. That God exists in three co-equal persons? No. Hear it. That God eternally exists in, God, in three equal persons. Now I understand that eternity means something like this. Having neither beginning nor ending. He said he would defend that God eternally exists in three co-equal persons, God the Father, God the Son. And now he tells us that for a little while the Son was not co-equal. Oh, consistency, thou art a jewel. Then we had <laughs> a little history lesson when it came to the matter of Mark 13.32 that the Son doesn't know the time of the coming. Mr. Toby says that the Savior was not referring to the coming when he said the Son doesn't know. I won't contest that point. What does it matter what he didn't know? There was something he didn't know. Whether it's the coming or the fall of Jerusalem, he says the Son doesn't know, but the Father only. Now how will he square that with his proposition that God eternally exists in three co-equal persons? Mr. Tabby, you have set yourself an impossible task. Now, once again, Mr. Tabo betrays that he has not yet grasped what we believe. Because, and I quote him verbatim, quote, he said Jesus is holy humanity. Mr. Tabo alleges that I said Jesus is holy humanity. Bless your kind heart. I haven't said Jesus is holy humanity. Have you forgotten the first proposition? I said Jesus was supreme deity. What I did say is this. The Son is holy humanity. I never said that Jesus is holy humanity because I believe that Jesus is the Father and Jesus is the Son and Jesus is the Holy Ghost. But I have made the statement that Jesus is holy, the Son, I beg your pardon, is holy humanity. And for this reason, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1 and verse 
35. And the angel answered and said unto her, that is Mary, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. Notice it. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. He had just, the angel had just intimated to Mary that she was to have a baby. The virtuous girl said, how is that possible since I don't know a man? And the angel answered and said unto him, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. It had nothing to do with Joseph. The Holy Ghost would be a husband to the virgin and the father of the offspring. Mr. Tommy, I've asked you before to tell us which person in your trinity is the father of Jesus. Person number one or person number three, the Holy Ghost. Will you deny that this verse makes it clear that the Holy Ghost is the Father of Jesus viewed as Son? The angel answered and said unto him, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, or because of this miracle act of paternity by the Holy Ghost in the virgin womb, therefore, that also, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son. What is the Son? The Son is that holy thing which was born of the Virgin Mary. And the Son was born, the Bible says. There's no such a thing as an eternal Son. The Bible speaks about a born Son. Let us speak where the Bible speaks and let us be silent where the Bible is silent. In Galatians 4 and verse 4, I read this, Mr. Tardis. Galatians 4 verse 4. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman. Notice that. His Son, made of a woman. In other words, the woman was before the son. His son made of a woman. He talks about an eternal son. The Bible says the son was made of a woman. A begotten son. A born son. 1 John 1 and 7 talks about the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son. Indicating that a son, he was human. Galatians 2 and 20 says that the son died. Mr. Tuttle, we do not believe that the Son is holy. We don't believe that Jesus is holy humanity. We do believe that the Son is holy humanity. Let me try and make it clear to you again. We believe in the Father. We believe in the Son. We believe in the Holy Ghost. As far as we are concerned, in fullness, they dwell in Jesus. Colossians 2 and 9. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. When we speak of Jesus as the Father, we refer to what he is as to his deity. When we speak of Jesus as the Son, we speak of him as to what he is relative to his humanity. 
And when we speak of him as the Holy Ghost, we speak of him as to what he is in the hearts of his dear elect. I never said that Jesus is holy humanity. The Son is holy humanity. Jesus is deity and humanity. Fused but not confused in one glorious person whom the Bible calls the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. He said the Church of Christ doesn't believe in the deity or accuses me of saying the Church of Christ doesn't believe in the deity of Jesus. Well, all right then. If they do believe that Jesus is God, doesn't it follow that he must be all that God is? Now he says God is the Father, he says God is the Holy Ghost, but he denies that Jesus is the Father, and he denies that Jesus is the Holy Ghost. How can you say or pretend to say that Jesus is God if you're not prepared to make Jesus all that God is? Didn't I tell you they plunder our lovely Lord even while they praised him? Was that double talk of Roman theologians? Jesus, our great God, is supreme deity. Meaning by supreme, Mr. Tati, he's supreme over every God that's in your imagination. And he's supreme over every heathen deity to the ends of the earth. For there are many gods and many lords, but to us there is one God the Father, and one Lord, Jesus Christ. I want to remind you again, Mr. Totten, that a God not supreme is no God at all. And so you have your tongue in your cheek when you say you believe Jesus is God. You can't believe he's God if you don't believe he's the Father. But the Bible says there is one God, the Father. One God, the Father. The Bible identifies the God of Scripture and identifies him as the Father. Say Jesus is not the Father and you have denied his deity although you pretend not to. You've cut him down. You've reduced him. You've minimized him. You've made him one third of God. Member number two, if you please, in a heavenly committee, which, thank God, exists, exists only in your tortured imagination. Now, there's a reason why Mr. Tappy is fond of 1 John 5 and 7. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. And the reason why Mr. Tabby likes that verse and he'll hang on to it, although the revised version drops it, here's a revised version, not this recent scandalous revised version with which we have nothing to do, but this is a revised version, the work of which was first started in the latter half of the 19th century, a revision of the King James Version. I'll give them the revised version, and tomorrow night, tell them to find it for me in the revised version. It's not there in the American Standard Version. It just isn't there. But he likes it very much. Why? Hear me. 
because it's the only verse in the Bible which uses the number three relative to deity. The only verse. But do you know how many verses in the Bible use one relative to deity? I tell you, the number's almost uncountable. Almost uncountable. Mr. Tobit, flash something on the screen using three relative to God. The number three, the numeral three relative to God. And I'll match it with a hundred scriptures showing that God is one. There is one God. Jim, say you believe there's one God? You do well. He said the demons believe and tremble. Why, even the demons know better than Mr. Totter. If one God believing in one God, believing in one God is enough to make demons tremble, believing in three gods would give them a complete nervous breakdown. <laughs> I have discovered the reason why Mr. Tabby likes 1 John 5 and 7. It's the only verse of its type in the Bible. But let it stay there. I'm not agitating for its removal. Let it stay there. It doesn't say three persons or one. It says the Father and the Lord. And I can't make any difference between the Father and the Lord when the Bible says the Word was God. It says the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And I can't make any difference between the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost when the Holy Ghost in Philippians 1.19 is clearly called the Spirit of Jesus Christ. No wonder it says these three are one. Glory to God. And one they certainly are. Mr. Tavi talks about the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, which is unpardonable. Then talks about the blasphemy against the Son, which is unpardonable. And then he goes back on his little gimmick. He says, well, that was permissible for a little while. For a little while, you could blaspheme the Son and get away with it. Can I remind you tonight that you are defending the proposition that God eternally exists in three co-equal persons. There's no loopholes in that proposition. It means that there never was a time when they weren't co-equal. There never has been a time, and there never will be a time when they're co-equal. It won't do Mr. Tarby to say that for a little while the son was not co-equal, so that you could blaspheme him and be forgiven, whereas if you blasphemed the Holy Ghost, it was unpardonable. I asked him to find the son in existence in the Old Testament. Now you heard me say that, didn't you? I asked him to find not the word S-O-N. I can find that more than once. I asked him to find the Son in existence in the Old Testament. Did he find it? He never will. Why? Because the Son was made of a woman. It was the Holy Spirit born of merely centuries afterwards. At Bethlehem, who was the Son? 
not a bit of wonder he couldn't find him in the Old Testament. He wasn't born yet. He wasn't made yet. But he takes us to Daniel 7 and 13. For one like unto the Son of Man is seen. And what is that chapter and a half but a prophetic vision? Not of things then in existence, but of things yet to come. Relative to this very age in which we are living. He has not found the Son in the Old Testament. And he never will find the Son being in existence in the Old Testament for the Son was made of a woman. The Son was born of the Virgin Mary. He never did explain how one of his gods can pray to another god or even needed to pray to another god if he were co-equal. That poses no difficulty to us. You ask me how he prayed or in what capacity he prayed. I'll tell you who prays. The Bible says, O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. Prayer is for flesh. Prayer was not instituted for divine beings. And so when Jesus prayed, he didn't pray as a divine being. For prayer wasn't instituted for divine beings. It was instituted for flesh. And Romans 9 and 5 says Jesus was flesh. And since the Bible says, Oh, thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. I say Jesus prayed as flesh, or as son, or as humanity. You know what Jesus also said? He also claimed that he was the one who heard and answered prayer. He said, if you ask anything in my name, somebody else will do it. I'm glad you corrected me. I wanted you to. This is what Jesus said. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Let's have both sides of the truth tonight. He prayed as a man and he answers prayer as God. The truth is easy when you have the key. Alright. 1 Corinthians 15 and 24 28. Oh what a time he had there. You know I was in Canada a few years ago and we were driving a car. And the man who was with me in the car, he got disgusted because there was nothing but detours, detours, detours. We were there as tourists. He said, we're not tourists, we're detourists. <laughs> when it comes to these passages, what an expert detourist Mr. Tommy happens to be. Listen. The Bible says, let me read it for you to get it accurately. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And remember, he is defending the proposition that God eternally exists in three co-equal persons. 1 Corinthians 15, 28. And when all things shall, shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself 
be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. This isn't the subjection of Jesus. This is the subjection of the Son. Because Jesus is more than the Son. I produce scriptures in John 17 which prove that Jesus is the name of the Father as well as the name of the Son. We believe in the subjection of the Son to the Father, but we don't believe in the subjection of Jesus to anybody, for Jesus is supreme deity. Thank God Jesus is still fulfilling the office of Son. As Son, He is the pardoner of our sins. As Son, He is our great High Priest, touched with the feelings of our infirmities. As Son, there in heaven, He pours out the Holy Ghost upon us. But there's coming a day when the sonship ministration of Jesus will cease. When there will be no more pardon for sins. No more intercession made for the wayward. And no more bestowal of the Holy Ghost. And the Son will be subject to the Father, His own deity, that God may be all in all. The son learned. The son learned. Hebrews 5 and verse 8. The son learned obedience. He grew in wisdom. Mr. Taddy tells us he believes in that God eternally exists in three co-equal persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Well, if they eternally exist in three co-equal persons, and since apparently he believes the Father knows all things, then if the Son is co-equal with the Father, eternally co-equal with the Father, wouldn't the Son eternally know all things? The Son learned. Oh, he said he only learned for a little while. He used to know everything. And then he learned for a little while, and now he's back again to where he started. Now he knows everything. And that's defending the proposition that all three co-equal persons. He asked the question, he asked the question, when I go home, does my wife go out of the door <laughs> so that my sweetheart can come in? <laughs> Mr. Toddy, I'm going to be kind of you tonight and assume you didn't mean to be slanderous. <laughs> my wife wants to listen to these debates on tape. I'm seriously considering censoring that portion. <laughs> it might put ideas in her head. <laughs> She'd be scared out lest my sweetheart would come here. <laughs> Let me tell you something. My wife is my sweetheart. 
and my sweetheart is my wife. In the same way, the Son of God is my Father. If they were equal in wisdom, Mr. Tabby, you may put on a brave front here, and you may use every debater's trick that you know, but you're not deceiving anybody, only yourself. I don't even think you're deceiving the Church of Christ people here tonight. I think they're beginning to see that it's not such a pushover after all. God eternally exists in three co-equal persons. And yet, the Bible talks about the Son learning. Shows what the Holy Ghost ever learned. Shows what the Father ever learned. You have to do that before you can sustain your proposition of three co-equal persons. Shows what the Son ever taught the Father. Shows what the Son ever taught the Holy Ghost. Shows what the Holy Ghost ever taught either of them before you can defend the proposition of three co-equal persons. He asked the question, he asked the question, when I go home, does my wife go out of the door <laughs> so that my sweetheart can come in? <laughs> Mr. Toddy, I'm going to be kind with you tonight and assume you didn't mean to be slanderous. <laughs> My wife wants to listen to these debates on tape. I'm seriously considering censoring that portion. <laughs> it might put ideas in her head. <laughs> She'd be scared to go out. <laughs> Lest that my sweetheart would come here. <laughs> Let me tell you something. My wife is my sweetheart. And my sweetheart is my wife. In the same way the Son of God is my father. In the same way the Son of God is my comforter. He said, I won't leave you orphans. I will come you. It's all in him. Bless in the same way the Son of God is my Father. In the same way the Son of God is my comforter. He said, I won't leave you orphans. I will come to you. It's all in him. Bless his wonderful name. I look into the face of Jesus tonight, and when I want to see the Father, I don't lift my eyes off him. I keep my eyes fixed on him because he said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. And when I want to see the Holy Ghost, I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. For the Father giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And he said he'd come to be my comforter. 
Mr. Tabble, are you going to see these three gods of yours when you get to heaven? When you get to heaven, are you going to see that one who sits on the center throne, who holds the principal seat according to you? And then are you going to look to the right side and see his son standing or sitting? And then are you going to look to the left side to see the Holy Ghost? Tell me what you expect to see when you get to heaven. If you think you're going to see three, then I want to tell you something. The Bible says no drunkard will inherit the kingdom of God. And if you persist, if you persist, if you persist in saying that, <laughs> you'll see three in heaven, and I want to say you're not sober enough to go there. Mr. Moderators, ladies and gentlemen. It's a pleasure again to be here, a genuine pleasure to be here tonight to discuss these propositions with you once more. This being the final night of the discussion and we're certainly pleased with such a great crowd of people. I want to say, as I've said practically every night, that I appreciate the behavior of the members of the Church of Christ and to you who are not members of either church, I want you to know that the hand clapping and the laughing and going on that's been done did not come from the members of the Church of Christ. We don't do that. We believe in doing all things decently in order. Paul in the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians condemned them there for confusion in the church and said that God is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. And so you people of the Church of Christ tonight, refrain from any sort of demonstration because the truth doesn't need that. The truth will stand. The, the uh, man who is in the false position is the one who always wants outside demonstration. That was uh, illustrated when Paul went to Ephesus and began to try to point out the doctrine of the uh, great Diana of the Ephesians. They couldn't answer Paul, so they started hand-clapping and carrying on for the space of two hours. Then when Elijah met the prophets of Baal, of course they couldn't meet Elijah, but they could yell, and they could do that, and that's the best they could do, and that's what they did do. My opponent, you know, boasted quite a bit last night about wanting another debate, and he bragged that Toddy would never meet them again. Well, I thought he meant it or at least I put him to a test. I gave him the proposition signed, just as we've debated in this debate. The only difference at all and wasn't in the proposition. I requested that he allow me to affirm the first two nights and he, the last two, just switch it around to what he's been here. He hasn't given us the proposition signed and I'm not the prophet or a son of a prophet, but I'll suggest seriously that he'll never do it, that you'll never hear that debate again. Now, if he thinks I'm wrong, I'll be glad to stand corrected if you just hand us the proposition, and we'll prove that. 
Now, when we were arranging for this debate, I always know when a fella's coming around with some sort of a hidden trick he thinks in the proposition. Now, we who have the truth don't care anything about that. So we ask him to agree to be uh, judged by Hedge's rules of logic. He said he didn't know Hedge. Well, Mr. Urshan told him about Hedge. Hedge is a logician who wrote a book to, to guide these discussions. So I'm going to read to, he said last night, though, that he didn't uh, agree to that, but he keeps the rules. Well, that's good. That's all you could ask anybody to do is to keep the rules. So I'm reading two rules here tonight. Uh, rule is here, the terms in which question and debate is expressed, and the precise point of issue should be so clearly defined that there could be no misunderstanding respecting them. Now, the affirmative must tell exactly what he means by his proposition. His proposition isn't what does his opponent think he means, it's what does he say he means, and that's the rule. Then the next rule is this, or another rule, rule six, the consequences of any doctrine are not to be charged on him who maintains it unless he expressly avows it. In other words, man uh, defines his proposition. You can't say, oh, you mean this. If he says, that's not what I mean, this is what I mean. Then you break the rule when you say that is. If you remember in this debate when he was discussing that Jesus is the supreme deity, and I kept pointing out the fact that his proposition brought up the fact that Jesus, that that necessary included another deity, that you couldn't be the extreme, uh, the supreme without the without. Then finally he came along and said, now I mean by that, that he is above the heathen God. When he said that, I never charged him with that proposition again. I did say that that was rather remote from the proposition to class Christ with the heathen God. That's what he said he meant. That's what we uh, let him have as that. So I'm telling you again tonight, like I said the night, uh, last night when I defined my proposition, that God and Jesus the Father and the Holy Spirit exist eternally. Now that's what I mean by eternally. They exist eternally. That is, they had no beginning, they have no ending. Now they haven't always been equal. They are co-equal, and I use that word exist in the present tense. They are co-equal. They weren't co-equal while Jesus was here upon earth. They will not be co-equal when Jesus comes back again. But now they are co-equal. Now he can't do anything with that. That's the truth. Last night he tore down everything he said the first two nights, trying to prove that I'm wrong in this. He even made a strong argument on 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ is not equal because Christ is inferior to God. Well, that of course is what I'd been telling all the two nights, and he was saying, no, no they're not. And so he proved the very thing last night that I've been contending for all the time. It would not have been necessary for me to have had said anything. He argued in the first two nights about the Jesus is the only one, and then he came back last night and answered everything that he said in the first two nights and proved that Jesus isn't the only one. Well, of course, I appreciate that speech you made in my behalf. We have some things here we want to say, 
uh, noticed last night before I get into affirmative arguments. He made fun last night quite a bit about Jesus praying on the cross. And he said that he wouldn't, uh, he didn't want to pray in God. He said, I'd pass up a praying God. I'd pass him by. I want the God that doesn't have to pray. Now, all of you heard him say that. Oh, he said it time and again, walked around over here. I wouldn't have a praying God. God is God's praying God, but I'd pass by a praying God and I'd go to God that doesn't have to pray. Now, I want you to, I want to emphasize that because I know all of you remember his saying and made fun of Christ praying as a God. No, I wouldn't have a praying God. I want a God who doesn't have to pray. Well, now, he says that Jesus is the supreme deity. He doesn't want to pray in God. Now, my opponent thought that was the son that he's talking about that. But he missed it a thousand miles, as he's been doing all the time. Now, I call your attention to Matthew 27, 46. And there, the Bible says, And Jesus, it doesn't say the son, And Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Mr. McGee, that was Jesus said that. Matthew 27, 46. And he said, I passed by the praying God. But the God that he says is the supreme deity was the praying God. Now what are you going to do with that, Mr. McGee? These people are going to anxiously wait to see what you've got to say about that. Why, Mr. Urshan wouldn't agree with you on that any more than he would about you saying that the flesh is going to judge us. There isn't a preacher among them, I don't believe, that'll agree with his saying that the flesh is going to sit on the throne and judge us. There isn't a preacher among them that'll agree that Jesus went to heaven in the flesh but had to leave his blood upon the earth. Why, none of them ever says that. I have seen them pushed. I've seen them pushed to the extremes, I thought. I even had a debate with one of our preachers one time, and a debater too. And the last night, when he had been pushed so severe, he got to the platform and said, I'll admit that Mr. Toddy is right. They had a church there. We had none. I was sponsored by a church across the country. They left the church building and we bought it. And today there's a church of Christ there. Yet that man, with all the pressure that was put upon him, never said anything like that Jesus went to heaven with the flesh but had to leave his blood on the earth. I don't think any of them would agree with that. All right. Now the point that I want to emphasize especially is that he made fun of Jesus praying last night. He didn't want to pray in God. He wanted a God who didn't have to pray. He'd pass by a praying God. And he'd go on to the God that didn't have to pray. That was Jesus praying. And his proposition says that Jesus is the extreme, uh, uh, supreme deity. That he is the only deity. That he is the only one in the Godhead. And he said he'll pass him by. To whom will he go? That's what we want to know now. He didn't tell us last night what praying is. I tried to get him to say, what's a man doing when he's praying? He never would tell us that. In the sixth chapter of John, when the Bible says in the 65th verse that many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him, and Jesus turned to the twelve and said, Will you also go? Peter said, To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. 
Now my opponent stood in your presence last night and said, I don't want to pray in God. I'd pass by a praying God. I want a God who doesn't have to pray. And I'd pass up the praying God. But he says that the praying God is the supreme deity. The praying God is the only deity. Now I ask you, Mr. McGee, to where will you go? To whom shall you turn? Now you certainly, you talked about the horns of a dilemma. I'm surprised, I just know he didn't know what that verse says when he was making clowning around here all about he didn't want to pray in God. I'm dwelling on this with a little more uh, time than I usually would, but I, I want you to know it when he gets up. Where is he going? He says Jesus is the supreme deity. Jesus is the only deity. Jesus is the only God. And yet he says that he wouldn't take up God that prayed. And Jesus, the Bible says, Matthew 27, and Jesus, not the Son, it didn't say Christ, it didn't say the Son of God, it didn't say the Son of Man, it didn't say the Father, it didn't say the Holy Spirit, it said Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What are you going to do with that, Mr. McGee? you passed up the only God you'll recognize. Now let me tell you, my friends, when somebody gets me like that, I'll fold my tent and slip out the back door and go home. Now he has argued for two nights, and last night, that Jesus is the only God. Jesus is the supreme God. He's the supreme deity. Yet he turned his back on Jesus Christ last night and said, I wouldn't have you. I'm going to a God that doesn't have to pray. I don't want a God that has to pray. I'm going to a God who doesn't have to pray. Yet there hung the Son of God shedding his blood for the sins of the world upon the cross, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, and Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'd be ashamed to be uh, to say that. I'd be afraid to be ashamed and ashamed to be afraid. Turn my back upon the God that died on the cross for me. He can't say it wasn't God because he says Jesus is the only God. My friends, I want you to remember the verse. It's Matthew 27, 46. It says that Jesus cried with a loud voice. Mr. McGee, I want you to listen to that. It says Jesus cried with a loud voice. And you said Jesus means Jehovah. Yes, grin, but you will never grin that off. You want to get up and say something? You know you're hooked now. Yes, sir, he knows he'll never get out of that. His proposition goes down completely. It's crying out for help. You talk about praying. Figuratively speaking, his proposition is praying. Mr. McGee, Mr. McGee, help me. Why have you forsaken me? Yes, now, now what's he going to do with that? Why, there isn't anything he can do with it. The only thing he can get up and say, well, now, Toddy's going to say this, Toddy's going to say that. Toddy's going to say this, Toddy's going to say that. But he'll miss what Toddy's already said. Now, we don't want you to tell what I'm going to say. We want you to answer what I've already said. Now, we want to see what he's going to do. Don't you people forget that. Hold that one point in your mind. 
that he said last night he didn't want to pray in God. He wouldn't have a praying God. He'd pass by a praying God. And yet he said Jesus is the only God. Jesus is the supreme deity. And Jesus was doing the praying. Now, he said last night that uh, I didn't, wouldn't consider anybody that I like to Welsh and not Irish. Well, that wasn't anything to that, so there's nothing to answer. Now, he said he didn't discuss Emmanuel. You want to laugh? Go ahead. It'll be all right to me. I want the people in the town to see it. Go ahead. I, I want to tell you something. I've led these people all through this debate to do that. They didn't know what I was doing. And I've got them to laugh so the town people would see how they act. That's exactly what I've been doing. And you people fell right into my hands and did exactly what I wanted you to do. Because I know how the people talk about it. I know how they've been talking about it here in this town, in this debate. And I led you to do it. You went, walked right into my hands and did exactly the thing I wanted you to do. Now, Mr. Urson knew that. He saw it. He saw it the second night and told you to shut up. He saw what I was doing. Can't you see that I want you to do it? We want the people to see the truth. We want the people to see how people who have the truth act. And we want them to see how people who don't have the truth act. And we want the contrast, so just laugh all you want to. It'll be all right with me. God exists eternally, but not co-equal. God exists eternally, but God is, was not co-equal Jesus when he was sheriff on earth. Now all of you get that. Jesus was co-equal with God until he came to the earth. But he wasn't co-equal while upon earth. But when he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, he became co-equal again. Well, now somebody might say we want the scripture for that. And of course you want the scripture. You don't want what I say anymore than you want what my opponent says. But where is the scripture? I'll read it again. In the 8th Psalm, we hear the psalmist there when he said, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Thou who set thy glory above the heavens, and out of the mouth of faith to the suckling hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemy, that thou mightest still the avenger and the enemy. When I consider the heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, of the son of man that thou visit him? Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Thou hast given dominion over all the works of thy hand. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and the beasts of the fields and fowls of the air, and the fish of the sea, and everything that goes through the path of the sea. O Lord, our Lord! How excellent is thy name in all the earth. So there it is. Jesus was made lower than the angels. He was above the angels, but God made him lower than the angels. And then we come to the New Testament. In the second chapter of Philippians, in the fifth verse we start, there it said, Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made for himself no reputation, but took upon him the form of a servant, and being fashioned in the likeness of man, he humbled himself unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, that is because of that, God hath exalted him above every name. Why did he do it? Because Jesus made himself inferior. Because Jesus humbled himself, and in that respect he was not equal with God. 
But when he had done that, God took him to heaven. And in heaven, he said, he set him down at the right hand of... Well, let me read from him the first, to you from the first chapter of Ephesians, which will tell you better than I can tell you. There it said, in what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers of might and dominion in every name, that's named not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave the head over all things unto the church which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in. Yes, God exalted him and put him above everything, every name in under heaven or on earth. All right, now I call your attention to the second chapter of Acts. In the second chapter of Acts, it said, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all of one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them cloven tongues like some fire and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues that the Spirit gave them utterly. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. When this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded and said, What meaneth this? Are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man their own tongue, wherein we are born, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, the dwellers of Mesopotamia, Judea, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, and Egypt, the parts of Libya about Cyrene. We do, strangers of Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians, we do hear them speak in their own words the wonderful works of God. They were amazed and they wanted to know what it is. Peter stood, some accused them of being drunk. Peter stood up with the eleven and said, Ye men of, Jeru of Judea, Jerusalem, and all you that dwell in Judea, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. These are not drunk as you suppose, seeing this is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joah. I'll pour out of my spirit in the last day of God upon all flesh. I'm going to pour out myself. No, I'm going to pour out of my spirit. What spirit was it? It was the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus in the first chapter of Acts and began with the fourth verse, when he said he did, told them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. And he told them to wait for that. And here the Holy Spirit's come. God poured out the Holy Spirit upon them. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them a now there we have it, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Well, now I want to call your attention to the baptism of Jesus, of the great commission that Jesus Christ has given in Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. There Jesus said, All power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now let me correct uh, an impression that you probably might get, and this is this. In and in two are different. In is, as I pointed out last night in the Greek, always used in the dative case. It can't be correct or used in any other case. And when you see the word in, that doesn't mean to place into a position. That may mean that you're already in a position. It can mean that. 
But then it means that you're doing it by authority. You have authority to say that. Like be baptized in the name of Christ. That doesn't baptize into the name of Christ. It can't be used like that. That would be in the objective case. And so therefore it is ever used like that. In the name of Christ means by his authority. That his authority is the medium through which that thing is done. That isn't the word used in Matthew 28, 18, and 19 when he said, go baptize them into the name. I know in the King James Version, the little English word in is there. But it isn't translated from the Greek word in. It's translated from the Greek word E-I-S, pronounced eight. And that is never used in any case except the objective. There are two words in Greek that cannot be used in any case except one. In cannot be used in any case except the name. Ace cannot be used in any case except the objective. And ace means to go from a state of without something to a state of within something. And that's what baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Oh, but somebody might say yes. But he didn't say baptizing in the names. No, that wouldn't be good grammar in any language you ever heard. A corporation doesn't say names. You don't say in the names of Sears Roebuck. You say in the name of Sears Roebuck. And when you have a corporation, you don't have the plural to the name. It's names, not names, always. And anybody who knows anything about English language or Greek grammar, either one, will say or will acknowledge that that's the truth, unless he has another reason. Now, he says, said last night, and I want to notice this, that Jesus was holy flesh. He is all flesh. But he's going to come back and set upon the king of the uh, throne of his glory. There won't be any God there. It's holy flesh. It's the Son. We're going to be judged by no God. We're going to be judged by flesh. He says it's holy flesh. That is, it's all flesh. And Jesus comes together. It'll not be God. We'll be judged by a man, notwithstanding the fact that the Bible says that we'll be judged by God the righteous judge. My opponent says, no, you'll only be judged by flesh. You'll only be judged for the Son of Man. He's going to set up on the throne of his glory and all the nations are going to be brought before him. And there he's going to be judged by that flesh. So, you do not expect God to judge you. He says the Word was God. Yes, the Word was God. And it says also that the Son is God. Hebrews 1.8 The in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But then in the 8th verse of the first chapter of Hebrews, we hear him when he said, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. So the Son was the Word, and the Son was God. But he made the ridiculous statement last night that the Son of God is never mentioned in the Old Testament. I read... Daniel 7:13, but he didn't take that. He wanted something else. He said he, he just never will be able to show you that because it isn't in the Old Testament. Well, you remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were cast into the fiery furnace. You'll find this in the third chapter of Daniel and the 25th verse. They were cast into the fiery furnace. And old Nebuchadnezzar looked in. Nebuchadnezzar said to those people, didn't you, didn't you cast in three persons? And they answered back, true, O God. And he said, but I see four in there. And the fourth one 
has the form as the Son of God. Look up here at me. You didn't know that's in there, did you? You didn't know it was in there, did you? If you did, you said last night it wasn't in there. You better study the Bible, isn't it? He just doesn't know what's in. He knows a lot about what's out of it. For instance, this theory that he has. They don't claim they got it from the Bible. They say they got it from a direct revelation from heaven, just like the Catholic Church gets about 99 and 44% 100% of what they have. A direct revelation. And they expect you to believe that. And he'll get up in with all the gusto that he can muster and he'll say, that's not in the Bible. He'll never be able to find that because it's not in the Bible. Just as if he knew everything is in the Bible and there it was. A story that even little kindergarten children know about the children of Israel in the fiery furnace and my opponent didn't know it. And last night he said that they didn't want the good preachers to debate with Toddy, we just want the Sunday school teachers. Well, let me tell you, they better send you back to Sunday school next or get you some Sunday school teachers. He certainly isn't measuring up to it. And talking about he can meet it, and he didn't even know that the word phrase son of God was in the Old Testament. Now you know that something, isn't it? There it is. Moved upon the face of the water. There is the Father and there's the Spirit. Then you turn to John 1. And you find he said, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And all things were made by him. And without him not anything was made that was made. And the Greek Bible says without him not one thing was made that was made. And yet there we have all three of them in the creation. Then as I read from the eighth Psalm, which he conveniently forgot last night and didn't notice, God put Jesus down under the angels. And there, while he was upon earth, he abode in that position. That's the reason that Jesus stood off and looked at the people and said, I go to the Father, for the Father that sent me is greater than I. Notice the